Hello, everybody across the South. Get ready for the next three hours. We've got your fill of Dixie. From the Dixie Cafe, we are y'all talk with a southern accent. My name is General John Rawl, the general of all things southern. And if you would like to check in with us and be a part of the excitement of the southeast on this middle of the week edition, you can do that a couple of easy ways. You can go to our website. It is yall.com. Y'all is the South's homepage. That's one way. And then you can text us when you have the opportunity as our great cast of operators stand by 24-7 to take your feedback. And that number to text is 803-816-1170. Hope y'all are doing fantastic. We're going to have a fantastic show here. We're going to be talking about news. We're going to be talking about sports. We will be discussing here on today's Y'all show some southern business news and notes going on today. And we want you to be part of the show. That's why we just told you all about those great ways to connect to us here. As you tune in today and enjoy the sounds of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent, the headlines today will include what's going on in terms of Tennessee and the flooding. The governor of the Volunteer State has ordered flags to be flown at half-staff for the roughly 20 victims of flooding from the past weekend. We'll tell you more about that. An update from the low country of South Carolina, and it comes as a result of the convicted church shooter from 2015, Dylan Roof. A court has upheld a death sentence for this disturbed man, and we'll tell you the news out of Charleston on that. Also, we'll, on the COVID front, tell you, about why cases of COVID-19 right now are hitting young kids in a big way as the cases among children surging and experts are warning that it could get a lot worse. And here in our headlines today, we'll discuss that COVID is causing so many concerns right now that even the NRA has canceled its annual meeting. That was supposed to be taking place in Texas And for the NRA to cancel a meeting, that's one of the biggest conventions anybody has each year when the NRA gathers. What a big, big change with that one. Also, a sad story coming out of the Sunshine State. A vacationing Georgia man was shot in a restaurant while trying to protect his young child. We'll let you know about that sad story from the state of Georgia. Also, a congressman says Joe Biden and his administration are releasing a, get ready for this one, a gobbledygook of misinformation. I'll tell you who said that and why they said that in our headlines across the southeast today. Also from the political world, congratulations to Randall Woodfin. He was just re-elected to be the mayor of Birmingham for a second term. Congratulations to Woodfin. And it's not even going to be contested. He had a dominating victory on Tuesday out of the Magic City. I didn't realize anybody was having elections right now, but evidently the city of Birmingham had an election on Tuesday. Also from the dumb southerner, the dumb American category, a couple has pled guilty to sneaking three people into the country illegally. 
Now, that's a dumb enough thing to do right there. But you're not going to believe where these people actually snuck these three illegal people into. It's not a place you normally want to sneak into, no matter if you're legal or illegal. We'll have that story, plus the passing of Lloyd Dobbins. For many years, Lloyd Dobbins was on NBC as he worked there as an on-air personality and correspondent. Worked at weekend. He worked for NBC News overnight. And he has just died this week. We'll tell you about this native southerner in our news headlines today. When we get to the world of sports, boy, do we have lots of quarterback talk to talk about as some teams are already announcing who their starting quarterback is going to be week one of the NFL. Some college teams also announcing who they're going to be rolling with when they get their season underway in just about a week and a half. So we'll fill you in on all that. Plus, in our sports update today, we've got an update on the Cardinals. Cardinals football getting ready to kick off. And we're going to tell you about the Cardinals head football coach who's entering his first year of being the coach of the Cardinals. No, it's not the Cardinals that play in Arizona of the NFL. It's not the Cardinals of Louisville or Ball State or any other team that has Cardinals. I am talking about the St. Michael Catholic High School Cardinals And they play in Fairhope, Alabama. And Thursday, the St. Michael Catholic Cardinals kick off the new season. And they're going to be coached this year by new head football coach, Phillip Rivers. And his Cardinals are going to be taking on McIntosh Thursday night in his debut. And we've got some thoughts coming in from the longtime NFL quarterback and former NC State Wolfpack, and I think he played his high school football in North Alabama in the Athens area. Phillip Rivers, Coach Phillip Rivers, is fired up, he says, to be coaching in his first official high school game. Coach Rivers spoke to the media this week. We will share that great conversation when we get to our sports update going throughout today's y'all show. In addition to talking about Coach Phillip Rivers... We're going to talk about the North Carolina Tar Heels as UNC is our latest stop on our tour across the southeast. We're going by 44 college towns in preparation for the start of the brand new football season. And today we're in Orange County, North Carolina, and Coach Mac Brown has done wonders in two seasons as his return to UNC has been nothing short of amazing. They coached. The Mac Brown coached Heels played in the Orange Bowl and nearly beat a very good Texas A&M team at the end of last season. This season, the Heels in their first week have a real doozy of a first game. And they're going to be led this year on the gridiron, not just by Mac Brown, but the quarterback, Sam Howell, the native North Carolinian steering the Carolina Blue on the gridiron this year. And when we get to our spotlight of UNC this first hour, talking North Carolina Tar Heel football, you're going to get a chance to hear from Sam Howell and the incredible reputation he brings, the incredible arm that he showcases. And he's just a smart quarterback, and you're going to get a chance to hear Sam Howell yourself before he goes off to the bright lights of the NFL. That's coming up in this first hour as we walk through UNC's upcoming schedule and some kind of 
talk, even from yours truly on the hills. Also, this first hour, Melissa Rhodes has a southern accent on good old southern culture. Hour two today on the Y'all Show, we've got more news, more sports, and then we have a business update. And one of the items we're going to talk about in terms of business, and it may affect you if you're a parent, it might affect you if you're into the bus repair business. We have a shortage of school bus drivers across the entire country. And we're going to discuss that. We're going to go to KVUE-TV in Austin, Texas. They've just filed a report on this subject. And I'll tell you about what's going on in terms of school bus shortage. And you might be having to take your youngin to school, and you normally rely on that school bus to come beeping or whatever they do these days with their bright lights, I guess, at 6.30 in the morning. And now you're having to do, do the car rider deal. All that coming up in our Southern Business Spotlight Hour 2, plus in the second hour of today's Y'all Show, we've got an update on good Southern books. We'll tell you some of the top five books that are on the New York Times bestsellers list. We'll see if John Grisham's newest book is back in the top five. Hang on for the Southern Book Report coming up hour number two. All that right here from the Dixie Cafe. Thank you for being a part. If you want to drop us an email, we welcome that. Our email, by the way, is mail at y'all.com. Okay, some developing news today out of Charleston, South Carolina. And this involved the 2015 mass murder that was done there at the Mother Emanuel Church there, the AME Church in downtown Charleston. Today, a federal appeals court upheld Dylan Roof's conviction and death sentence for the 2015 slayings of nine members of that church congregation, saying the legal record cannot even capture the full horror of what Dylan Roof did. This unanimous three-judge panel of the 4th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals rejected arguments that the man should have been ruled incompetent to stand trial in the shootings at Mother Emanuel AME Church. In 2017, Dylan Roof became the first person in the U.S. sentenced to death for a federal hate crime. I got real problems with this case, okay? First of all, we've never heard Dylan Roof speak in all these years. Nobody's ever gone in and done an interview with him. And what he did was terrible. There's no doubt he did it. I don't have a problem this guy being sentenced to death. But again, here we go again with the federal hate crime charge. What was he charged with? I mean, the guy murdered nine innocent people. He should go and be electrocuted or whatever they're doing in South Carolina now for that. The federal government doesn't need to come in and charge this guy with a hate crime. He's going to get put likely to death for murder. What, what good's a hate crime when the guy's already convicted of murder? From the state level, this whole federal hate crime is, is nonsense. And again, Dylan Roof was the first person in the entire country to ever be sentenced for a federal hate crime. He was 21 years old when he did all this. The guy was a loser. The guy was such a loser and totally out of it. He actually meant to kill himself after he killed these nine people. And he lost count of his ammunition, and he ran out of ammunition. He was going to shoot himself before he got captured by police, and he didn't have any ammo. I mean, that's pretty pathetic. Well, that's what the guy did. And, again, this is a case where he did something so tragic and we've not seen one single interview ever in six years with this guy to 
perhaps get his side, which I, I can't imagine what that side would be other than I'm an idiot or I'm a racist or I'm a horrible person, but he, he ought to be heard. I mean, somebody just, I'm not saying he's going to be interviewed by every single media entity, but he's been essentially silenced and his fate sealed. Now this guy is no different what he did killing nine people than some of these other people have killed that many people or more. It's just a tragedy. And again, he got convicted of murder and he should be never released from jail. And he, in South Carolina, they still allow death row and he should be there. And he did a terrible thing. And part of the reason this 2015 murder still is in the spotlight isn't because of Dylan Roof. It's because of the tremendous Christianity and the tremendous response from the victims' families when this thing happened in 2015. But today, again, the news out of the federal courts, the 4th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, that Dylan Roof, his death sentence is being upheld, the federal hate crime death sentence being upheld today. To Nashville, and Governor Bill Lee has ordered flags in the volunteer state to be flown at half-staff for victims of flooding, and those victims come from the three counties that were dramatically affected this past weekend, Humphreys County, Dixon County, and Hickman County, all three counties in the western section of Middle Tennessee. And Governor Bill Lee putting out a statement In memory of the lives lost during the devastating floods in western Middle Tennessee, flags over the state capitol will fly at half-staff until Friday. We continue to pray for the Tennesseans' experience in loss and heartbreak and our courageous first responders. The count right now still remains, at last count, 18 who have officially died as a result of these flash floods from Saturday. There's still several people missing in Middle Tennessee from the devastating floods. What's also devastating right now, COVID-19 cases among children. That seems to be spreading. I know firsthand. I have an 11-year-old. He was just diagnosed with a positive test on Tuesday. And he's felt bad a couple of days. But he did go in and got a positive case first time in the entire coronavirus time period that he's been tested positive. It's the first member of my family that has tested positive for COVID-19, an 11-year-old child. And I hope he gets through this without any more discomfort. I hope everybody gets through this thing without any more discomfort. But the story out today is why are kids getting this virus so much? So why is it surging And experts are giving us a little bit of a uh uh-oh. Last week, COVID-19 cases in children in the country reached levels not seen since the winter surge. And with schools getting back, the Delta variant on the rise and this winter approaching, health officials are concerned that it could get worse. Now, we saw a decline in cases in the early portion of this summer. Children's cases, though, have increased exponentially with more than a four-fold increase in just the past month, according to the latest report from the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital Association. 
Now, at the end of July, there were about 38,000 cases a week. At the end of August, or technically August 19th, the week ending August 19th, that went from 38,000 positive cases to 180,000 cases in one given week for children. The rise has come as 48% of the population is yet to be fully vaccinated. That according to data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Pfizer-BioNTech's vaccine, now that's been fully approved by the Food and Drug Administration for Americans 16 years of age and older. There's still not a vaccine currently available for children 11 years old and and lower. And people like me with 11-year-old kids would like to have that option. Children under 16 still aren't fully approved for a vaccine, and the emergency use authorizations in place only cover adolescents 12 and under, that from the FDA. Now, children ages 5 to 11 are the next group in line to become eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine, and an updated emergency use authorization from the FDA are going to make at least 28 million additional children able to get the vaccine, and that's about 9% of the country's entire population. But again, we're going to have problems with this thing. With hospitalizations up, hospitalizations right now surpassing the six-figure mark. Over 100,000 people currently in the hospital with COVID-19 in the entire country. And the scary part is, according to some of the experts, you're going to see, for children at least, this thing get worse before it gets better. So please keep our youngsters in mind. And everybody, just be aware that these 11-year-old kids and and lower are not able to get vaccinated. And again, that might explain why some say it's going to get worse before it gets better. Delta Airlines out of Atlanta is going to force unvaccinated employees to pay $200 more per month for health insurance. That a release from the airline today as it's making this requirement mandatory. Chief Executive Ed Bastian unveiled the policies in a memo to all of the employees saying that with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's full approval of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine this week, quote, the time to get vaccinated is now. As the chairman said, we've always known that vaccinations are the most effective tool to keep our people safe and healthy in the face of this global health crisis. That's why we're taking additional robust actions to increase our vaccination rate. At Delta, Unvaccinated employees immediately will be forced to wear masks on company property if they are indoors. Starting September 12th, unvaccinated Delta Airline employees will be required to submit to weekly coronavirus testing. If the results are indeed positive, they will be required to isolate themselves. The $200 health insurance surcharge goes into effect November 1st for all unvaccinated employees. As Bastion, the chairman of Delta, said the average hospital stay for COVID-19 has cost Delta $50,000 per person. This surcharge will be necessary to address the financial risk the decision to not vaccinate is creating for our company. Again, private company. They can choose to do this, and they're doing that out of this Georgia-based Delta Airlines. Now, one more last coronavirus-related topic to talk about before we move over into some sports conversation today. 
the National Rifle Association was scheduled to have its big convention in Houston, but the NRA has canceled its annual meeting due to COVID-19 concerns. The NRA's meeting was scheduled September 3rd through 5th, and it would have been attended by tens of thousands of people, and they would have come into the Houston area for social gatherings and other events, all on acres of exhibition space. But the NRA announcing it's going to have to cancel this event held in Houston this year due to coronavirus issues. The NRA said it made the decision after analyzing relevant data regarding COVID-19 in Harris County, Texas. Houston, like other Texas cities and communities, has seen a big jump in COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations due to the highly contagious Delta variant. So Wayne LaPierre, Mr. NRA, making a decision here that some may applaud because if you're an NRA member, many of the things that Mr. LaPierre has done in recent times have not been necessarily the best news stories for the National Rifle Association. Y'all talk with a Southern accent from the Dixie Cafe. We will be right back after this timeout. We've got a quick look at some Southern sports happenings today. A lot of quarterback news from both the NFL and college football as the Aggies and the Red Raiders both make QB decisions today. We'll tell you what those are when y'all continue. with a southern accent time now for your southern sports fix got a lot of quarterback news going on in southern sports today we'll take you to duval urban meyer and the jacksonville jaguars have officially announced that number one overall pick in the 2021 draft trevor lawrence mr long-haired qb out of clemson Trevor Lawrence is going to start week one versus the Houston Texans. And now he'd gotten a little bit of heat in the preseason for that starting quarterback position. Gardner Minshew, the Mississippi product, did pretty good, I thought. But evidently, not good enough for Coach Urban Meyer and his quarterback coaching staff to go with the rookie. 
as the Jags are going with the multi, multi, multi-million dollar QB that has arrived and is the hero all across Northeast Florida right now, Trevor Lawrence. Congratulations, Trevor. Not often do the top draft picks get a chance to start very the very first game that they're ever going to suit up for in a regular season game, and he has the opportunity. As Coach Meyer today says that not only will he have that 12th of September season opening game in Houston that he'll be quarterbacking, but Trevor Lawrence will also play in the preseason finale against the Dallas Cowboys that the Jags have scheduled. Coach Meyer saying, we wanted him to earn it as we do with every position. Urban Meyer goes on to say, we felt he was, after Monday night's performance against the Saints, that it was a good performance, obviously not great. We didn't run the ball ball very well. I kind of, in my mind, had that deadline after the second preseason game that we kind of have to get someone ready to play in three weeks. And Trevor Lawrence beats out Gardner Minshew in training camp. And he has the opportunity to start day one in the NFL as a starting quarterback. Trevor Lawrence has been pressured on 37% of his dropbacks this preseason. That according to the stats and information data from the four-letter network. The first-team offense has managed only three points in six drives, and both Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence, they both agree that that needs to change against the Dallas Cowboys in this final preseason game. But the big news, as we said, out of Jacksonville, that the Jags are going to go with Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick for that week one game against the Houston Texans. All right, other NFL quarterback news. The former Minnesota Viking turned from Minnesota, he went to New Orleans. From Minnesota, he went to the Carolina Panthers. And now Teddy Bridgewater calls the Mile High City home. And this former Louisville Cardinal quarterback has won the starting QB job over Drew Locke for the Broncos entering the first week of the 2021 season. Coach Vic Fangio made this decision, and he informed the Bronx of that today and had maintained through training camp that the battle was even Steven. But the former Missouri QB, Drew Locke, beat out here by the veteran QB, Teddy Bridgewater, who at 28 years old still has plenty of football life in him. Now, he's with his third team in three seasons. As a starter for the Carolina Panthers in 2020, Bridgewater was 4-11. Now, go back the year before, he was 5-0 as a starter when he replaced Drew Brees for the New Orleans Saints. I watched a lot of Teddy Bridgewater play in football last year in the the, uh, black and, and Carolina Panther blue color that that team wears. The problem with Teddy Bridgewater wasn't his 4-11 and record. That was a big problem, no doubt. But Matt Rule, in his first year, a bit of a rebuild going on in the Queen City with the Panthers. The problem Teddy Bridgewater had, I think it was eight games the Panthers had when he was quarterback in this team. And there were eight times... Carolina had a chance to win the game with one heroic drive down the field led by quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. And 
each one of those eight opportunities went down in flames. The Panthers 0-8 when they had a chance to win a game. And that's what the NFL does, and that's what the NFL has always done. It's about capitalizing when you have an opportunity with just a handful of seconds left to go get some points. And that's why Aaron Rodgers is so great. That's why Drew Brees was great. That's why Tom Brady is great. And the greats of yesteryear, they didn't need much, but they could steer their team. And a lot of those losses, frankly, those eight games that the Panthers could have won, that blame was squarely on Teddy Bridgewater. He would make bad decisions. He'd throw an interception. I think most of the cases he did throw interceptions. When he did not need to throw an interception, they could have won the game. The 28-year-old Bridgewater, though, on a comeback today again, the Broncos are announcing that he's going to be their starting quarterback. 24-year-old Drew Locke, in his two seasons with Denver, has gone 8-10. and 10. He actually took them into the second round of the 2019. He went to them in the 2019 NFL draft in the second round. But he tied for the most interceptions in the NFL last season with 15, and he was last among the lead starters in completion percentage. So Locke needs to get better if he's going to lock up that quarterback position as a starter in the future. But, yes, that is the news from the AFC West today with Teddy Bridgewater. Congratulations to him. He's on the comeback trail with an opportunity to be the Broncos' starting quarterback. One last quarterback news item today before we move over and talk about a college quarterback that plays for the North Carolina Tar Heels in the next segment. I got one other quarterback from the college ranks to tell you about. Congratulations to Haynes King as Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher have announced that King will be the Aggies' starting quarterback as he's going to come in and succeed the former four-year starter in Kellen Mond. Haynes King is a six-foot-three, 200-pound redshirt freshman from Longview, Texas, right on the Louisiana line, and he led the Aggies. Uh, he's going to lead the Aggies following what Mond did in the past couple of seasons. Last year, specifically, the Mond offensive-led Aggies finished number four in the polls. Texas A&M has debuted at number six in this year's preseason AP poll, the highest initial ranking A&M has had since way back in 1995. Again, the newcomer right there in Aggieland, Haynes King. He's got the keys to the King to King Dumb, as his last name is King, as he takes over the offense for Jimbo Fisher's Band of Plowboys. Y'all talk with a southern accent continues on. When we come back, we're going to be going to Chapel Hill. As today, the North Carolina Tar Heels are our featured school. We'll walk through Mac Brown's team and what they've got on the schedule for 2021. Also, you're going to get a chance to hear from the very talented quarterback for UNC, Sam Howell, a guy projected to go in the first round of next year's NFL draft. All that ahead as the Y'all Show rolls on from the Dixie Cafe.
The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College football tour stop. Here's Johnny. I kind of get tickled every time I hear that. We're back here at the Dixie Cafe, and it's time here to go a little ACC on you. As our featured school today on our trip across the South, getting you ready for the start of college football's 2021 season, we're going to be in the home of the hills as we're going to tell you all about Mac Brown's North Carolina Tar Heel football team. And we're going to hear from their very talented QB in just a second, Sam Howell. How about them hills? All right, Mac Brown back at North Carolina after a time well spent, by the way, winning a national championship at the Texas Longhorns back in the 2005-2006 time frame, somewhere like that, and then lost a, another opportunity for a national championship when he played Nick Saban in Alabama around 2009. But after being dismissed from Texas, they just didn't think he had – he just didn't have it in him anymore. Texas parted ways with Mac Brown, and Texas has gone down whatever river goes through Austin, Texas. It's not the Brazos. Uh, uh, it could be the Colorado River, actually. I think that might be it. It goes on down toward south of Houston. I think it's where it dumps out into the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, Texas got a little ahead of itself. They got rid of good old Mac Brown, and they went through about – 50 coaches, and they still haven't gotten anywhere back to where Mac Brown took them when he won a national championship. But this is not about Texas. We're talking about the heels of UNC. And right now, North Carolina football is by far well ahead of North Carolina basketball in terms of the success, in terms of the rankings, and more. In fact, a quick look at the preseason poll for both football's coaches and the AP Top 25 polls. And your North Carolina Tar Heels are in both of those polls in the top 10. UNC checks in at number 10 in the AP Top 25. And Mac Brown's Carolina Blue Gladiators are number 9 in the coaches poll. The North Carolina Tar Heels open up the season with a conference game, by the way, on the road. They're going to be in Blacksburg taking on the Hokies on September 3rd. That's a Friday night. That's next Friday night. you got a massive, important college football game between a top 10 program and a team battling to be back in the thick of things from a college football standpoint, the Virginia Tech Hokies. This is on the Friday night of September 3rd. ESPN is going to broadcast this game. Can't wait for that one. UNC has its home opener at Keenan Stadium against the Georgia State Panthers. That game set for September 11th. They're on, they're, they've got the Virginia Cavaliers, their longtime rival. UVA comes into UNC land on September 18th. 
the Hills will be going to the ATL, and they're going to be taking on Georgia Tech, not at Bobby Dodd Stadium. How about this? UNC and Georgia Tech will face off inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Saturday, September 25th. That ought to be – especially if they go into that game undefeated, and they, they really ought to be at that point. That's going to be a great, great contest. On October 2nd, the battle with Duke where they, the winner gets the bell, the victory bell. That game set for UNC's campus against Duke October 2nd. They have Florida State coming in for a game October 9th. They've got the Miami Hurricanes coming in for a game October 16th. So they have three straight home conference games right in the middle of the season. They go out of conference for a game at South Bend against the Irish. That game is set for October 30th. Back at home against Wake Forest November 6th. They'll be against the Pitt Panthers in a cross-divisional game against an Atlantic Division competitor. That game set for November 11th. The Walford Terriers truck on into Keenan Stadium. The Spartanburg, South Carolina-based school, one of the smallest schools in all of college football, will be the opponent in the final home game of the year at Keenan Stadium. And then it's the longtime hated rival from Raleigh, UNC and NC State wrap up the regular season on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, Friday, November 26th. The Wolfpack and their in-state hated rival, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Now, to tell you a little bit about this 2021 edition of UNC football, let's go to athlonsports.com. They've broken down Mac Brown's team. This team has come a long way in just a number of years. Just a few years ago, in the 2017 and 2018 seasons combined, UNC went a total of 5-18 and 18 before Mac Brown got to Chapel Hill. 5-18. and 18. And this is what he's done in his reintroduction into Chapel Hill. In 2019, his heels went 7-6, and six, won the Military Bowl. The next year, 8-4, and four, had a good season, went to the Orange Bowl, but lost to Texas A&M in a very close-fought game. UNC ended up in the final poll being ranked in the top 20. And a lot of people predict this is going to be the second-best team in the ACC this year. And I would, not, I would not fight them on that. In addition to the talented home state product out of Indian Trail, North Carolina, Sam Howell, the junior quarterback, in addition to Howell being on the roster, Mac Brown's got a lot of tools in his war chest as his air raid attack ought to be on display in a big, big, big way. Now, UNC have... Josh Downs and Kafrar Brown. That's Diami Brown's brother, by the way. And those two guys are going to be helping out on the receiver end. Bo Corrales and tight end Garrett Walston are very good tight end targets for Sam Howell. Then you've got a graduate transfer in Ty Chandler. Now, Ty Chandler, as a running back, rushed for over 2,000 yards during four years on Rocky Top. He was a Tennessee Vols power figure in the backfield. And he's transferred over to North Carolina. 
and he's going to lead a talented group of running backs for Mac Brown's offense. UNC returns its entire offensive line. Look, this team could not only compete for, this team could win the ACC this year, and that would say a whole lot about Mac Brown. Now, UNC's defense, they have to replace Chaz Surratt, who, of course, has gone on to greater fame in the NFL. But they will likely be powered by Tamaron Fox with his 33 career starts and Jeremiah Gamel. Both are back in their linebacker positions to help the Carolina Blue. And so look for a very, very, very good UNC defense. They have one of the best defensive backfields, according to Athlon Sports, as they have the best backfield of defensive backs in the entire ACC, according to Athlon Sports. And that consists of the trio of Storm Duck, Tony Grimes, and Kyler McMichael. Now, Storm Duck, what a name. Mr. Duck ended up missing a bunch of games last year because of injury, but he was one of the top defensive players as a freshman in 2019. So, Mr. Duck is going to waddle on in this year and try to make his name be remembered and his name called often when Mac Brown, the veteran coach, guides his UNC football team onto the field. Of course, Mac Brown, who is now going to be, let's see, he has a birthday Friday. Mac Brown turns 70 years old, the Cookville, Tennessee native. Congratulations and a very happy 70th birthday here this week to Mac Brown, just a, just a, you can't, you can't really appreciate what he's done in his entire career. Remember, he was at Tulane before he went to North Carolina back in the 1980s. And while he was the Green Wave coach, he helped resurrect that program and then it went back into complete irrelevance. But in his final year in New Orleans, he led him to a bowl game. Tulane was six and six in 1987. And then at UNC, He had a couple of double-digit win seasons to wrap up his career there and won a couple of bowl games. He won the Gator Bowl back-to-back years. Then Texas came calling, and it was that 2005 season that he went 13-0 as a head coach and won the Rose Bowl and won a national championship. Then in that 2009 season, he ran up against a guy named Nick Saban, and it it didn't help that his quarterback got hurt in that game. Texas wrapped up that year as the runner-up in a 13-1 and record. But right now, he's in Chapel Hill, and he's doing great things, and a big part of the reason Matt Brown is doing great things on the gridiron is his QB, Sam Howell. And Sam Howell just met with the media as the North Carolina QB is gearing up to have one incredible junior season. Here is number seven speaking to the media this week as his UNC football team is continuing on with its drills in the lead-up to the kickoff against Virginia Tech in just a matter of days. Here is Sam Howell. I think we're super excited. Um, you know, everyone on the team, we're, we're all super excited. You know, there's been a lot of talk about this team um, on the outside. There's been a lot of noise, um, a lot of good talk um, going on about the team. But, you know, we're just ready to get out there on the field and show what we can do. Um, we're tired of people talking about it. We just want to go out there and do it, you know what I'm saying? So we're super excited, working hard. I feel really good about where we are heading into um, two weeks out. Yeah, I think the big thing is just consistency on both sides of the ball. I think we can we can we can get better on both sides, just being more consistent. I mean, I think we, at times we play some really really good football in practice, and at times we don't. 
Um, so I think just the main thing is just being being really consistent. And I think that's what we struggled with in the past is not being consistent. Um, and that's something we've been working on, just trying to take it one play at a time and try to make, make the most of that one play. So that's our main focus um, leading to the game, just being consistent. Yeah, I think it's come a very long way. Uh, I think we started a little bit early on um, in fall camp, and I, especially after our scrimmage today, we feel really good. Uh, I know we connected on a lot of throws. I think this past week has been really good for us. We develop a, a level of consistency. Um, you know, the connection feels really good um, with, with all our receivers. So I feel, I feel really good about where we are with the receiver room. You know, they've worked hard. They, they've done everything right. So it's just a matter of me giving them a chance to make plays. And they've made some really amazing catches all, all camp. So we're super excited about those guys. Well, we, we have a lot of depth. Um, so we, we rotate a lot of guys. So guys are more fresh when they get in. And they, they can truly give all they got when they get their reps. And there's talent all over the field. And people want to prove that they're they, – they want to prove how, how good they are. And, you know, there's, there's – the competition's been crazy. Um, you know, it's, it's been better than I've seen the first two years I was here. So – I think if you compete in practice, uh, you know we're, we're going against the best in practice. So the game, the game should be easier than practice if we're, if we're practicing the right way. So and we've definitely done that this fall camp. So I feel really good about where we are. Uh, you know, both sides competing. Defense has good days. Offense has good days. So I feel really good about where we are. All right, those are the words of North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell, the six-one, two hundred and twenty-pound gunslinger out of Indian Trail, NC. Remember, he got recruited to Florida State and turned down the Knowles after Mac Brown got hired at North Carolina and he stayed in state. Looking at Sam Howell's stats, just last year alone, he completed 237 of his 348 passes. That's a 68 percentage completion rate. Passed for over 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns, He did have seven interceptions, a rating of 179. This is a fellow that is likely going to be a first-rounder. This guy could be your number one draft pick. This guy could be your Heisman Trophy winner if he comes out and has the kind of season that many in Chapel Hill expect Sam Howell to have. And teaming him up with Mac Brown, the Cookville, Tennessee native that's been Back at North Carolina and doing great things. Remember Mac Brown's tenure, his first Mac Brown Dynasty Part One in Chapel Hill, 1988 to 1997. Now Mac Brown Dynasty Part Two in Chapel Hill, 2019, and the story is being written now about just how long he's going to be in college football, back on the mountaintop of having great football teams, and we wish him. All the best. I know deep down he wants to win another national championship. After you've tasted it once, like he did with the burnt orange in 2005, I don't think there's anything more Mac Brown wants than to lift that trophy wearing that Carolina blue. And he might have that opportunity real, real soon. That is a look at North Carolina football here. A reminder... North Carolina has been playing football since 1888, and they have a couple of titles, they claim, but no national titles in the history of this program. They claim four Southern Conference titles, five ACC titles. Now, they've had some good players through the years. They've had some players who are household names who've been out and and been part of UNC football legacy and lore 
I'm thinking of Mr. Choo Choo is one of those great players. Charlie Choo Choo Justice was a fantastic player for UNC back around World War II. And then you've had other players in more recent times who've gone on and, and done tremendous, tremendous for UNC football. I guess some of those might have even played for Mac Brown when he was coaching in the late 1980s. But, yes, the, the guys who've gone on and done great in the NFL, I know one of the great New York Giants players came out of UNC's football program. And then you've got people like Jeff Saturday, who I see on TV pretty regularly, as a UNC football alum. They've held their own. I don't know why they've never quite knocked off and got a national championship here. But, yeah, I'm thinking of Lawrence Taylor. That's the Giants player that was so good for them. And just so many just really good players out of the North Carolina football program. And, again, looking for that first championship in quite some time. They have not won an ACC title since Dick Crum's UNC team of 1980 went 11-1, and and they were perfect in conference play. In fact, that 1980 team, its only loss came at Oklahoma, 41-7. to And they went on and beat Texas in the Astro Blue Bonnet Bowl. That's quite a <laughs> quite a demotion. You have a team that is ten and one, I guess, going into that bowl game in Houston, ten and one, and the best they can do is the Blue Bonnet Bowl. Well, that's what happened back in 1980, and UNC did win that game over the Longhorns, sixteen to seven. But that year, they defeated Clemson, a big win for them. They got a win over Georgia Tech. That was before Georgia Tech was actually a member of the ACC. They won all the way out in Lubbock against Texas Tech that year. Dick Crum, UNC, that was his third year coaching UNC when he had that incredible 1980 season. I wonder what happened. Let's see. Why why was he let go? Hmm. Usually there's a controversy. Okay, I guess it could have been the fact that he had losing records. He was fired at the end of the 87 season when was succeeded by Mac Brown. Yeah, after that tremendous 1980 season, it was kind of ho-hum going forward. They were 5 and 6 in 85, 7 4 and 186 and then 5 and 6 in 87. He would ultimately go on and coach the Kent State Golden Flashes for 3 seasons and never had a winning season. Dick Crum is still alive, by the way. He's 87 years old. All you Chapel Hill fans are probably a little bit nostalgic about the Crum era and the Mac Brown era of North Carolina football. We will continue to tell you more about North Carolina in our number three today. We'll discuss the university itself and its flagship role within the state of North Carolina. We'll also share with you some great alumni of UNC, and we'll tell you about some game day traditions if you make it to Chapel Hill. I've been to a game there before in recent years. It's a lovely, lovely site, great time in downtown Chapel Hill. All that is coming up Hour 3. When we come back, we're going to wrap Hour 1 of today's Y'all Show Up. Melissa Rhodes has a southern accent on culture. That's up next, y'all, and go Hills. Go Hills. 
southern accent. Here's an accent on the south from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. Chances are, all you ladies of the south, y'all have a Simply Southern t-shirt somewhere in your chest of drawers. Ginger a Dog Do started the apparel line at a Greensboro, North Carolina shopping mall kiosk in 2005. Now millions have Ginger's deep fried teas with a cute or inspiring southern message. When we first started, we basically were only making t-shirts. And the first day, we actually only made $30. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're never going to be able to survive on $30. And then the next day, we did $40. And then by the weekend, on Friday night, we actually did... $300, and I thought, oh my gosh, we actually might make it and actually make rent. It was a lot of hard work and determination, and it just all of a sudden finally paid off, and retailers started to see that, oh yeah, this is a product that we can sell, and we can sell a lot of. Southern history, fun, and more at y'all.com. All right, Melissa, that is a very, very well-timed report with summertime. You don't have all that much time remaining to go break out your Simply Southern t-shirt. And I will have a confession for you here. Yours truly, host of The Y'all Show, has never worn a Simply Southern t-shirt. Maybe one day. One day. I have worn and still am very proud of my Y'all shirts and my awesome Y'all hats. Talk to me sometime about Y'all. We'll we'll kind of suit you up in Y'all apparel if you'd like. We enjoy having everybody show their y'allness we've got another hour of this show about the south coming up more headlines more sports news and a southern business report that plus the latest best-selling books coming your way hour two of the y'all show That's the text line. If you want to be part of the show all about the Southeast, I'm John Rawl. And this is the Y'all Show, covering Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. And West Virginia, we'll throw that one in there for good measure. Got you all covered here on the Y'all Show, a blend of... A very high-performance blend of Southern conversation, including news and sports and food and business and book news and all kind of other fun stuff. Yeah, it's all kind of thrown in together, and out comes the Y'all Show. Hope y'all are doing good. This is Hour 2 of this Wednesday edition of the show covering all things Dixie, in this second hour, we will have more headlines coming your way momentarily. Also, some sports news. We'll tell you about that high school football team out of Fairhope, Alabama. It's got a pretty good guy leading its football team on the gridiron for the very first time on Thursday. We'll let you know about Coach Phillip Rivers. Yeah, the same guy that used to be a Chargers quarterback is now a high school coach in Alabama. South Alabama to boot. So that's coming up in our sports update here in a moment. Also, this hour, we've got some Southern business news that we're going to be passing along. We'll go to Austin, Texas. KBU TV there in Austin's Tori Lennard has done a story on the shortage of school bus drivers that we currently have going on across the Southeast. Why is that? We'll let you know in this 
Southern Business Report coming also before Hour 2 is over. We will have an update on the best-selling books according to the New York Times. So that's coming up as part of our Southern Book Report, Hour Number 2. Our website is YALL.com. It is the South's homepage, y'all.com. Please go by there. Bookmark our page if you don't mind. And also, if you're on something called Facebook, we definitely want you and we just aren't. We'll just go ahead and ask you. We'll beg you. Please go to y'all.com on the Facebook and, and look for y'all.com on Facebook and share or subscribe or whatever your options there are so that you'll get all of the postings about this show and we can grow our Facebook audience. We really need to do that. So thank you, whatever way you get us. And also thank you to our great listeners. We have great listeners on great, awesome, incredible, beautiful radio stations. I mean beautiful radio stations. Thank you to all of our beautiful listeners on those beautiful radio stations. We also have great podcast options for the show about the South. The Y'all Show currently is available to download on your own schedule. Absolutely free of charge. Just search Y'all Show on Spotify. Search Y'all Show in the Apple Podcast app. Search Y'all Show on Stitcher. Search Y'all Show on the TuneIn app and iHeartRadio. And right there, you'll see this show. And let me use that word again, the B word. This beautiful show awaits your free download. And you can keep up with what's going on on your own schedule. All because of our podcast options. The Y'all Podcast is also at y'all.com. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We hope you're having a great day. Let's get back into the headlines going on across the country today. And we'll pick up with a tragedy out of the state of Florida. As a gunman has walked into a Miami Beach restaurant and shot a tourist. And he shot this man while he was trying to protect his one-year-old son. Dustin Wakefield was visiting the Miami Beach area when Tamarius Blair David Jr. shot this 21-year-old Georgia man because he was high on mushrooms, which made him feel empowered. That's what he told investigators. David went into the restaurant La Serviesseria, And he picked Wakefield out at random. Wakefield's family says he stood up and got between the shooter and his one-year-old son, saying he's only a boy. Police say that David then shot Wakefield multiple times. The man then ran from the restaurant and was captured in a nearby alley. He's charged with murder. What a low life to shoot an innocent man, a man that stood up to protect his one-year-old son. And this man... Again, who his excuse was that he was high on mushrooms and that empowered him to kill Dustin Wakefield and now Tamarius Blair David Jr. in custody, fatally shooting this 22-year-old man in the Miami area. 
by the way, David, I think, might have been the one from Norcross, Georgia. Yeah, that, that's the story there. Okay, moving on. More headlines across the southeast today. And another tragedy. This comes to us from the state of South Carolina. Dutch Fork High School. The Silver Foxes are the best high school football team in South Carolina. They have won multiple state championships at the highest level of high school football in the state of South Carolina. The news out of Irmo, South Carolina today, unfortunately, is that one of the Dutch Fork High School students practicing for football has died after collapsing at practice as this student died on Tuesday. The 17-year-old student identified as Jack Akitab. The district there, the Lexington Richland School District Number 5, put out a statement that said, It is with a heavy heart that we inform you of the death of a Dutch Fork High School student who passed away Tuesday after collapsing at football practice. The death of any youth in our community is a tragedy for all. At this difficult time, we turn our attention to supporting the family. They go on to say this is a sad day for us and our community, and we're grieving this loss. Additional counselors and district support will be available to students over the next few days. The Dutch Fork High School Silver Foxes are scheduled to play Gaffney High School on Friday. If you're not familiar with Dutch Fork, it is right there in the Columbia, South Carolina area. It is west of Columbia. It's in the Irmo area, right on the north side of Lake Murray. And arguably the most famous alumnus of Dutch Fork High School is golfer, Mr. Masters champion winner. A few years back, Dustin Johnson was a Dutch Fork Silver Fox, and they've had a lot of other great athletes come out of there. But this week, sadly, 17-year-old Jack Alkita of Dutch Fork High School dying while going through football practice. I've been told it's been hotter this week in some portions of the South than it's been all summer long. I don't know how true that statement is, but uh, I was just around Irmo three weeks ago. I was back in South Carolina, and it wasn't too bad. And I got—I haven't even told you all this. I got out on the lake. I, I got to do something that a lot of you in the South enjoy in the summertime. Oh, my best friend's got him a new boat. And so I was back visiting, and he just had to show me his new boat. So we got to go out on beautiful Lake Murray, and his young son had one of those tubes that you can pull behind a boat and that was, that was pretty fun i mean i didn't do the tubing but it was pretty fun to watch and I, and we have some great waters across the southeast that you can go out and have a good day or in this case we were only out there about two hours on a friday afternoon mind you and it was really really beautiful and pretty and very relaxing so thank you for that scene but Dutch Fork and its school boundaries border that same lake. I was having a good time. And all you good Southerners with boats remind you, you better get out there if you haven't been out there much because the summer is quickly wrapping up and you've got only about about a month maybe before you'll have to go put that boat up and then you'll have to pay the big storage fee for a lot of you who don't have the ability to keep it on your own property. That stuff can get expensive. It sure can. All right. Other news going on across the southeast. From South Carolina to North Carolina we go. And a congressman from North Carolina says the 
Biden administration releasing a gobbledygook of misinformation on Afghanistan. As on Tuesday, the administration held a classified briefing for members of Congress. And Greg Murphy of North Carolina described this disconnect between communication coming from the White House, the Department of Defense, and the State Department regarding the country's withdrawal from Afghanistan and in a good southern way. He used that word gobbledygook. Here was his specific quote when interviewed by Fox News. Congressman Greg Murphy, North Carolina, he said, Unfortunately, the difference between what's coming out of the White House, what's coming out of the Defense Department, what's coming out of the State Department is literally a gobbledygook of misinformation. Now, Murphy represents a district with the six most military veterans in the country, and perhaps that's why he's standing up for his constituents. I'm going to look up his district. I'm not familiar with Greg Murphy, North Carolina's district, so bear with me here as we talk a little politics and more here on y'all. And Greg Murphy represents the third district of North Carolina. Greg Murphy is a guy who studied at Davidson College, UNC, got an MD, actually, from the University of North Carolina, was even at one time a medical missionary. And he represents that third district in North Carolina. That is the coastal district. That essentially is north of Wilmington all the way to the Virginia state line. That's your Outer Banks area and just a beautiful beautiful area it is on the atlantic coast covering not only the outer banks but also the counties adjacent to the pamlico sound so that is his district and he took over this district after the passing of walter b jones in february 2019 as he won a special election so yeah that i guess he's got camp lejeune and more as he's a greenville north carolina resident in Greg Murphy, and somewhere in his medical training, he must have picked up on that term, gobbledygook, because that's what he's saying is coming out of all of the different Biden administration officials right now trying to explain what in the heck is going on in Afghanistan right now. Now, some more political news. This comes to us from the city of Birmingham. Congratulations to Randall Woodfin, as he has been re-elected mayor of the Magic City. Mayor Woodfin won more than 64% of the vote in a very crowded field. The turnout was low Tuesday. Just over a quarter of the city's 146,000 registered voters voted in the Birmingham election. And he is re-elected mayor of the city of Birmingham, Alabama. Woodfin's biggest wins also came in some of the city's predominantly white voting precincts. The person that came in second in Birmingham's mayoral election, Jefferson County Commissioner LaShunda Scales. But this man will be reelected. And to his credit, I think it was Mayor Woodfin who probably got out there and yelled more loudly than anybody else about how Birmingham needed a new football stadium, and UAB is about to open up an incredible downtown Birmingham football stadium. So that is a positive coming from the Woodfin era 
of being the mayor of Birmingham, Alabama. The negative is I believe he, along with some other city officials, were the ones that literally, I think, illegally covered up the Confederate statue right there in Birmingham and put up like 30 feet boards around it to hide it, and they ultimately hauled it off like like a lot of places. All right, we've got more headlines as we walk through today's Y'all Show. We're only in our second hour. If you want to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with the show that's all about the South. When we come back, a quick sports update. What is Phillip Rivers up to? You know, the guy that was quarterback in the NFL and used to be quarterback of the NC State Wolfpack. Well, Phillip Rivers has segued. He is now going to be head coach of a high school football team on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. And he's got a game, his debut game, is just hours away. We'll tell you about the Cardinals high school football coach, Philip Rivers. That plus some other quarterback news to tell you about as the show All About Dixie continues. Riding along, riding my own mule Minding my own business, wasn't bothering the soul Now I see the possum and a raccoon The raccoon was up the cement tree and the possum was on the ground the possum hollered up to the raccoons and said, hey bubs, just throw me some simmons down Back into y'all talk with an accent on everything Southern, a little sports news here on this Wednesday. We're about halfway through the show at this point, so it's halftime. And using that metaphor, we'll tell you some football items that are making headlines today. From the NFL, Trevor Lawrence, named starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He'll be not only starting the regular season game, the first one the Jags have, which will be against the Houston Texans, but in the final preseason game, the fellows from Duval will be having against the Dallas Cowboys. Trevor Lawrence is also going to get plenty of snaps in this one. The first-round draft pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars out of Clemson University, Trevor Lawrence is your starting QB day one that he is an NFL player. What a com- tremendous accomplishment for that young man out of North Georgia originally. Also, NFL quarterback news. The Denver Broncos have tabbed Teddy Bridgewater to be their starting quarterback, winning the job out over former Missouri Tiger QB Drew Locke. And now the 28-year-old Florida native who played his college ball for the Louisville Cardinals, Teddy Bridgewater, with his third team in three seasons. He's gone from the Saints to the Panthers, now to the Broncos, and he's getting a chance to be the QB when Denver opens up its new season. One guy not quarterbacking this fall for the first time in some 20 years, Phillip Rivers. Phillip was part of that 2004 NFL draft, and he's hung up his cleats. And now Phillip Rivers is fired up, not because he's not going to be playing anymore. 
He's fired up because Philip Rivers is coach of the Cardinals. Philip Rivers is head coach of St. Michael Catholic High School, and that's in Fairhope, Alabama. And the St. Michael Catholic Cardinals have a game Thursday night against McIntosh. Let me walk through Philip Rivers' schedule, if you will, for his first season as a high school football coach. McIntosh is the opponent this week. Then he's got Jackson High School, Williamson High School out of Mobile. Atmore's Escambia County is an opponent. That's a region opponent for St. Michael as well. Alberta, he plays East Bruton's W.S. Neal High School, Mobile's Mobile Christian High School, Pritchard's Vigor High School, and Millery. That's Philip Rivers' schedule for the forthcoming season. And his first game as a high school football coach, again, just hours away when McIntosh and St. Michael Catholic get it on in the heart of Dixie. Philip Rivers started 252 NFL games as quarterback primarily for the Chargers. He was the Colts quarterback in 2020. And now his first official high school game set for just hours away. On Monday night, Philip Rivers in an interview said, I was nervous today for that first game. Heck, I was nervous last week. I literally told my wife that she said, what in the world? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just different kind of mode or what, but it does feel different than it did as a player for whatever reason. Now, Philip Rivers, when he was still quarterback in the Chargers, he was named coach in waiting in the spring of 2020. So St. Michael's essentially said, Philip, you do your NFL thing, and as soon as it's over, We've got a job waiting for you here to be head coach of this Fairhope, Alabama private school. And it just ended up being only one more year that he played. And in this case, it was for the Colts. He officially retired in January. And now his family has relocated from California. I don't know if the entire family moved to Indianapolis while he was playing for the Colts. Now they're living in Baldwin County. And he has been coaching this high school since the spring when he got there. And this game Thursday, it won't be the first time Philip Rivers has been on the sideline with his team. St. Michael played at Alma Bryant in a spring game and played at Flomaton last week in a jamboree, but this is the first real game that the Cardinals will be playing. Again, Philip Rivers had a tremendous career at NC State before going on to the 2004 NFL Draft where he was the fourth overall pick Picked behind Eli Manning and, let's see, Eli Roethlisberger was also in that draft. And Roethlisberger's still playing. So I guess Roethlisberger's the only one of those quarterbacks still from the 2004 draft as Manning has also stepped aside. But he spent his first 16 years with the Chargers, primarily in San Diego, and now He's coaching high school football, which is exactly what his dad, Steve Rivers, did when Philip was growing up. We have some audio of Philip when he was hired early in the year talking about moving over from the NFL to be a high school football coach in the state of Alabama. Here is St. Michael Catholic High School football coach Philip Rivers and his thoughts of being a high school football coach. More than just the sport. Uh, so uh, certainly excited for my, to coach my sons, but more than that, all the, all the uh, future uh, boys that come through the program. Um, 
both with, with my boys and, and, and hopefully long after my boys have, have moved on. But um, I know Paul and the staff will do a heck of a job uh, moving forward, obviously saying moving up to 4A and, and seeing the progress they've made in the last couple of years. It was fun to try to uh, check out highlights and keep up with the scores from, from way out in California uh, the last couple of seasons. But um, really important, too, for me to be at a Catholic high school, uh, you know, as, as I began, uh, I wouldn't even call it a search, but as I began uh, looking uh, to my second, uh, you know, post-playing career, thinking about where, you know, wh- where, not, not so much location, but what kind of school you're looking for, uh, St. Michael embodies everything that, uh, that I was looking for. And so, you know, I- I've always tried to live this as a, as a person, and I've always tried to live it in my, my career. But, I mean, our program will be faith, family, and football. And it will be built on the faith, and family will be very important. And then we'll, uh, we'll work like crazy at the football part and, um, when it's football season. And then I'll encourage the boys to shoot, get to the gym, and then let it be faith, family, basketball, and then let it be faith, family, baseball, and whatever that is for, for, the, for the boys and other sports that they play. So um, super excited. I could ramble on and on, uh, but I'll stop and, and take any questions you have. All right. Again, that goes back a couple of months. Philip Rivers, coach Philip Rivers, getting ready for his debut as a high school football coach Thursday when his team, the Cardinals of St. Michael Catholic, take on McIntosh in Lower Alabama. One other NFL-related story to pass along. Wide receiver Robbie Anderson of the Carolina Panthers has inked a two-year extension with the NFL franchise based out of Charlotte. The extension is said to be worth nearly $30 million. Robbie Anderson, the guy with glue hands, is a 28-year-old wide receiver who started out his career catching passes with Sam Darnold, not in Charlotte, but instead with the New York Jets. And he did a very good job in his first year with the Panthers in 2020, so much so that here just on the start of a new season, the Panthers and Robbie Anderson come together and extend his time in the Carolinas with a nearly $30 million extension. Congratulations to that man. Now to some quarterback news out of the college ranks. Texas A&M has named a starting quarterback. Haynes King will be A&M's QB when they start their season. He is a Longview, Texas kid, six foot three, two hundred pound red shirt freshman, and was very, very highly recruited out of high school when he chose to stay in state and play for A and M. So that decision made by Jimbo Fisher again going with Haynes King as the Aggies QB over in Lubbock, A and M, or rather Texas Tech. TTU, if you will, has named Oregon transfer Tyler Schuff as its starting quarterback as he's earned this QB bid. Matt Wells, coach of Texas Tech, announcing this today. As Coach Wells said, this is the most talented our quarterback room has been since we arrived. After evaluating the entire body of work, we feel as a staff that Tyler gives this team the best chance to win. He is well-respected by his teammates, a tireless worker, and has developed a strong understanding of what we want to do as an offense. Now, at Oregon, Slow was a backup to Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert did 
one heck of a job in the NFL in 2020, so much so that some people think he is by far the Chargers franchise quarterback. No doubt about it. Don't even need to bring in other people in the future. He's, he's got it wrapped up. Texas Tech opens its season September 4th in Houston as they take on the Cougars at the Texas kickoff at NRG Stadium. That game will be televised on ESPN. And that is a quick look at some Southern sports happenings here on this Wednesday of the show, All About the South. We'll come back. We'll keep college football going. No, I'm sorry. That's Hour 3. We want to keep college football going. I'm going to tell you about the traditions and more of the North Carolina Tar Heels Hour 3. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Up next, we're going to take you to Austin as a TV report there talks about the bus driver shortage. We'll discuss Southern business in the next segment. Stay tuned. This is y'all. And I'll share it with you If you don't work things out And save your love somehow You'll know it then What it's like at the bitter end First comes a downpour An emotional uproar Brought on by don't love you anymore Followed by a slamming Like my friend, if you let it come to a bitter end. Back on y'all as we cover everything across the 16 southern states, and we're doing it right here at the Dixie Cafe. General John Rawl, your host, your friend. Reminder, you can catch us in podcast form if you miss us on one of our tremendously cool radio affiliates. Our podcast options include Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, and so much more. Plus, we're right there at y'all.com. Y'all is the South homepage. Let's go into some Southern business news. This is a Southern business report, and we'll start off here today on business happenings across the region to let you know july home sales up one percent as prices reached unprecedented levels and this is really following other unprecedented marks in the housing industry in the last several months sales of new homes rose one percent in july after a string of declines while new home prices set records still just baffles many people including me how many houses are not for sale right now and how houses and the value have gone up so much sales of new houses rose just the one percent in july after declines of new home prices soared to record levels sales last month reached a seasonably adjusted annual rate of seven hundred and eight thousand 
That's what the Commerce Department reported this week. Sales had fallen in April, May, and June as builders confronted surging lumber prices and a shortage of workers. Home prices continue their upward trajectory to new heights. The median price of a new home sold in July climbed to, get this, right at $390,000. That mark, again, this is the median price of a new home. This year compared to last July, that's up 18.4%. The average sales price in July hit a record of $446,000. That's up 17.6% from a year ago. Now, even with the small sales gain in the month of July, new home sales are 27.2% below the pace of a year ago as sales peaked at a rate of 993,000 units back in January, but have cooled, though remained at historically high levels. It's just baffling what's going on in the housing industry. The National Association of Realtors reported this week that sales of existing homes rose 2% in July compared to June to a seasonably adjusted annual rate of nearly 6 million units, while the price of an existing home sold in July climbed to nearly 18% from a year ago, near the all-time high set back in June. So that's some news from the housing industry. Again, the big story here that home sales in the month of July went up only a modest amount, 1%, as prices reached unprecedented levels, nearly 400,000 big ones. The story of 2021 just might be TikTok because TikTok continues to get in headlines somehow, some way. I'm still not on TikTok. I have no plans to be on TikTok. If you're a TikTok user, perhaps you can hit me up here at 803-816-1170. Tell me just how wonderful TikTok is. I really don't know. TikTok is going to let users shop through an app with a Shopify deal that TikTok users will soon be able to buy stuff directly through the short videos on the app. Okay, this is why TikTok might be 2021's it. It's something that's been around a little bit, but boy, it just seems to be getting more and more and more attention. And here we go with news in the high-tech world. TikTok users are going to be able to use those short videos to buy stuff something they'd only been able to do through ads until now. The shopping tool, Shopify and More, said that the businesses will be able to add a shopping tab to their TikTok profiles to create what's called a mini storefront that links directly to their online store for checkout. The shopping tool, which is still being tested, is available to merchants in the United States, the United Kingdom, and in Canada, and it's going to roll out to more regions in the coming month. Shopify already had a deal with TikTok that lets merchants create what's called shoppable video ads that drive customers to online stores. So how about that? Unfortunately, the problem with TikTok, maybe it's the reason I don't have it, is who owns TikTok? TikTok is owned by a company called ByteDance, B-Y-T-E Dance, ByteDance. It is a Beijing-based company. And it already runs a thriving social media marketplace on Douyin, its twin video app for the Chinese market. So here we go with China taking over 
and I guess they created it. TikTok. And I know why now. I know why this is a big deal. Because the Jenners and the Kardashians are involved as Kylie Jenner is among the first merchants to participate in this program by selling her skincare and cosmetics line through TikTok. Anything related to the Kardashians can't be good. And there we have it. TikTok and China and the Kardashians. A triumvirate of terrible. (laughs) But it is making a lot of headlines. You know what else is making a lot of headlines? We got a shortage of bus drivers across the entire country. And it's complicating the start of the new school year for so many districts. Districts which are already facing surges in COVID-19 cases and also battles with administrators and parents over whether to enforce COVID-19 mask wearing rules and more and bus driver shortages big time going on across the entire country. A Delaware school district is offering to pay parents $700 to take care of their own transportation. (laughs) I don't know if your local school district's got the kind of money to pay for that. You know, that's probably Joe Biden's district come to think of it. With an extra 700, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But yes, unfortunately, just so many drivers are not either showing up or they've come down with COVID. And that doesn't help when little Johnny or little Janie need to get home or get on the bus and go to school. And this is all over the country. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas initially, he initially prohibited Texas school districts from requiring masks. But now successful court challenges have led the Texas Energy Education Agency to suspend enforcement of his ban while the challenges move through courts. And speaking of Texas, and maybe part of the reason there is a bus driver shortage in the Lone Star State, we will go now to the state capital. KVUE-TV is the ABC affiliate in Austin, Texas. And reporter Tori Leonard has gone out and covered this bus driver shortage for KVUE, and we're going to go now to Austin and hear what she's got to say and maybe some of the reasons bus drivers are nowhere to be found. A growing bus shortage across the U.S. is hitting districts right here in Central Texas. Lake Travis ISD says their shortage got worse this summer. It's been a big challenge, but we're, we're doing the best we can at this moment. The district is down 20 drivers. It's recruiting office staff and bus mechanics to drive. It's consolidating bus stops. And with the first day closing in, the assistant superintendent for operations says getting students to school will look very different. We are also doing like two different waves. So we would go and pick up students, take them to the school, drop them off, go back and pick up another group of students. Parents say there hasn't been enough transparency in the process, including emails they say they never received and small windows of time to sign their child up for the bus before that window closed. There are a lot of people who are out of town in a four-day window for something that is so life-changing for so many families. This does not seem suitable. Because we all have jobs that start in the mornings, too, and we're not going to be able to start our jobs. And then we actually are going to have to shut down in the afternoon to be able to drive to the school, to wait in the carpool line, to pick up our children again. A representative with the district explained while they can't take more students on the buses right now, they'll look at the numbers closely as school starts to see if they can fit more riders. Until then, the district is looking for positive people with good decision-making skills for the job, and they'll take care of the training. In Austin, I'm Tori Larned. 
Tori, thanks a lot. Now, we reached out to multiple districts in the area. Representatives with Hayes CISD and Leander ISD both stated they are also short on drivers. Austin ISD and Pflugerville ISD said they have enough currently but need more substitutes. All right, that the story from Austin, Texas. Thanks again to KVUE-TV and a report on the bus driver shortage in just that little section of the southeast. When the Y'all Show returns, we'll wrap up Hour 2 with a look at the best-selling books out there. If you're looking for something for the easy chair or maybe for the chair when you go out to the lake this weekend, we've got some good recommendations. And those recs are coming up after this timeout. Thank you, Mr. Doug. We are back on y'all, wrapping up hour two, and we've got a look at books to close out this second hour of the fun. And we'll go to the New York Times bestsellers list for the combined print and ebook fiction category. This song, this book, rather, has been only on the. This book's been out only about two weeks now. I got music on my mind and books. That's not a bad combination. Now that I think about it, Stephen King's Billy Summers been out two weeks. It's number one on the ebook fiction and combined print category from the New York Times in the fiction category. Brand new this week, Catherine Coulter's Vortex. It's number two. This book's been out just over two months. Colleen Hoover's It Ends With Us checks in at three on the New York Times bestsellers list. Number four on the NYT list from author Laura Dave, The Last Thing He Told Me. And checking in at number five, Emily Henry's People We Meet on Vacation. Those are your top five combined print and ebook fiction books on the New York Times bestsellers list. We've got a brand new book checking in at number two on the combined print and ebook nonfiction list this week. Something tells me it helps. If you're part of the Fox News Channel family, when you want to start selling books, that's why I call Fox News Book TV. Because if you ever tune in on there, they're already always promoting somebody's book. It kind of is a turnoff, frankly, to me. Mark Levin, the great one, his book American Marxism is still atop the bestsellers list in the nonfiction category. It's number one. And right on Mark Levin's heels is Tucker Carlson, The Long Slide, a collection of previously published essays from 1995, back when he was wearing bow ties, to 2016 by the Fox News Channel host. Tucker Carlson's The Long Slide is number two on the nonfiction list for the New York Times this week. Bessel van der Kolk's 
The Body Keeps the Score. That's been on the bestsellers list for a year. It's number three. Carol Leoning and Philip Rucker's I Alone Can Fix It. Donald J. Trump's catastrophic final year. I don't know if it's catastrophic. That's their opinion. But it is number four on the nonfiction list. And brand new this week and very timely because this guy is a world champion. Mirren Fader's Giannis is number five. It is about Giannis Anamakapupu, the NBA star whose family from Africa settled in Athens, Greece, and he went from Athens to the mountaintop of NBA basketball as the Milwaukee Bucks are your 2021 NBA champions. And the Greek Freaks book, I don't know if it's a bio or it's an autobiography or what, but it's called Giannis, and it's number five, brand new, debuting this week on the New York Times nonfiction category list. And that is a quick look at your book options that are at least selling like hotcakes across the southeast right now. Y'all talk with a southern accent from the Dixie Cafe. Come on in. The folks here will greet you with a nice smile and a whole lot of good southern veggies and more. We will be right back. Hour three is headed your way. We will have more on the North Carolina Tar Heels. They are our featured school today. We'll share with you some of the great alumni of UNC Chapel Hill and also some of the game day traditions when you go to Keenan Stadium. That's ahead, hour three, plus more news and sports info to pass along to. Hang on, we'll be right back. Let's go to Spartanburg. It's almost the end of August. Just want to throw that out there for all of you who might have a couple of bills. You need to make sure you get your check in the mail before we hit the brand new month and Labor Day weekend coming up real fast as well. Hello, your friendly Southerner, John Rawl, checking in with you. Thank you for being on Y'all, the show all about the South. There's no other program that does what we do. We mix in all of the fun and all of the news and all of the food and all of the travel of 16 southern states. Places that you can maneuver from one place to another and drop the y'all word and nobody's going to laugh you out of the building. That's what we call the South. And here we call the y'all home the program all about the South. And we're powered by the homepage of the South. And that's Y'all.com, Y-A-L-L.com, 803-816-1170. Those are the digits you can pick up and just hammer away to reach out to us. If you've got a text you want to send us, we would welcome your feedback here at the Y'all Show. Coming up in this final hour of this middle-of-the-week edition of Talk with a Southern Accent, we've got some sports news to go over. We also have... A lot to say about the University of North Carolina as the Tar Heels are today's stop on our tour across the southeast. 
UNC plays Virginia Tech in its season opening game next Friday night. Nine days from today, the Tar Heels and the Hokies get it on at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia. And we are going to tell you about UNC's football fortunes in just a few minutes. We'll discuss all what the University of North Carolina offers to the residents of the Tar Heel State. We'll also let you know about famous alumni, and boy, do they have quite a star-studded group of people who have called the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill home. And we'll also mix in, for good measure, some of the great traditions you'll find when you go to a North Carolina Tar Heels football game. The ACC's Heels are today's featured school in our tour across the southeast. And tomorrow, by the way, we'll take you from Chapel Hill today to the Classic City. On Thursday's Y'all Show, it's all about them Georgia Bulldogs. So hang on for UGA Talk coming up on Thursday's program about the South. Also this hour, we've got some more headlines to pass along, and we can't wait to share some of that with you. I will go ahead and tease you. One of the stories we'll be talking about is how people have been smuggled in illegally into this country, but the place they got smuggled into is not a place you want to be smuggled into anytime, whether you're legal or illegal in this country. That's one story. That's one news story to pass along here. Speaking of news, we'll also share with you the passing of a real news man. Lloyd Dobbins passed away this week for many, many, many decades. He was a news reporter and correspondent primarily for NBC News. You might have seen him on NBC's weekend show. He was also on NBC News overnight a Virginia native that has passed away this week. We'll tell you more about Lloyd Dobbins coming up on the Y'all Show. And I told you in hour two, the word of 2021 just might be TikTok. Well, TikTok is now removing the Milk Crate Challenge videos. I'll explain why as part of our coverage of what's going on across the Southeast in our headlines forthcoming in just a few minutes. That is right here on Talk with a Accent on the South. Now let's go in to start this hour off with some news from the sports world. And from the sports world, the theme of today's y'all show really has been about quarterbacks. We already heard in hour one North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell as he's going to be in his third year leading the Tar Heels. And Sam Howell, the Indian Trail North Carolina native, We heard him talk about his team getting ready to start its season in just a few days. The news headline today, also lots of quarterbacks making news, news headlines and more today. Trevor Lawrence of the Jacksonville Jaguars was named the Jags starting quarterback for week one. Teddy Bridgewater, now with the Denver Broncos, formerly with the Carolina Panthers, and before that the New Orleans Saints and Minnesota Vikings. The former Louisville Cardinal signal caller at 28 years old, getting the reins to the Broncos. He's going to be, that's kind of a a, a very, goes right in line with their mascot. He's got the reins of the Broncos, and Teddy's got that chance. Name starter as Coach Vic Fangio making that decision to go with Bridgewater over Drew Locke today. 
Also, we told you in hour two all about Phillip Rivers. He's not going back to the NFL. He's going to be making his debut Thursday evening as his high school team he's now coaching, and that would be out of Fairhope, Alabama, St. Michael Catholic. St. Michael Catholic Cardinals have their season opener against McIntosh, also out of Alabama. Phillip Rivers now coach Phillip Rivers in the Alabama high school ranks. We also told you about quarterbacks in the college ranks. Haynes King, named as the starting QB for the Texas A&M Aggies, while over in Lubbock, the coach there has made a choice as Matt Wells has picked Tyler Show to be the quarterback of the Red Raiders of the Big 12. He's a former Oregon Ducks QB. He backed up Justin Herbert for a while there and now moving over to the Big 12 as a Red Raider QB. He's earned the starting quarterback job for Texas Tech, so we wish him all the best in his efforts to get on a college football surfaced real soon. Okay, back to some of the NFL talk and more as we have sports coverage here in hour number three. CBSSports.com and its writer Patrick Walker has just put up an article, five NFL trades that make sense ahead of the 2021 season. And I'm going to walk through these so-called trades, the, the ones that make sense. He's got, as a positive trade in the offseason, the Dallas Cowboys sending Jalen Smith to the Raiders for offensive tackle Brandon Parker plus a late-round pick. He calls that a, a good trade. He also has, in his breakdown of the transactions of the NFL from the last season to this season. The Green Bay Packers sending a second-round pick to the New England Patriots for Stephon Gilmore, the cornerback, I think, who played collegiately for the South Carolina Gamecocks. He calls that a good trade. Also, in his mix of five trades that made a whole lot of sense ahead of the start of the 2021 season, New Orleans back in the news. The Saints sent wide receiver Michael Thomas to the Jags for cornerback C.J. Henderson. And that he calls that a good trade. Trades are supposed to be good for both parties. And that evidently, in his opinion, was a good trade for both franchises. He also has the Arizona Cardinals and their decision to send the edge rusher Chandler Jones to the New York football Jets for safety Marcus May. That a good decision coming out of the CBS Sports article. His last one is the decision by the L.A. Rams to send its backup outside linebacker to the New York football Giants for Ryan Santoso, the kicker. So the Rams definitely trying to improve their kicking game since they've got Matthew Stafford, quarterback in this franchise. Now Stafford's got a Hollywood approach to his playing game. He's no longer stuck in the Siberia of NFL football. That would be the Detroit Lions. And he gets a chance to come out and be one heck of a quarterback in the NFL. And a lot of those games, when it comes down to winning football games, comes down to the kicker. And so the Rams aren't afraid to make that choice as they decide to go for Ryan Santoso, of New York, and he comes in with a chance to take over the kicking duties for this team. And the Browns, by the way, have just released 
Cody Parkey after putting him on injured reserve. So they need a quality kicker, the Browns. So I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it looks like the Rams are trying to do everything they can to have a quality football team. And speaking of quality and speaking of teams stepping up their game, speaking of trades and the Rams and the rest of NFL football, how about this trade that just happened that did not make that CBS Sports list of great offseason trades? How about Sony Michelle, the former Georgia Bulldog? He's been traded, and he is going to have a chance to be a Ram himself. And Sony Michelle, who's been with the New England Patriots, traded this week. The Patriots trading him to the Rams for two conditional late-round draft picks. The trade helps the Rams replace Cam Akers at running back. Sonny Michelle scored the only touchdown in that Super Bowl game against the Rams that the Patriots had at one point. That was a tough one for the Rams. That was way back, way back, I think, when that happened. It had to be when the Rams were in the Super Bowl last. But, yes, a good trade there. That might be one of the best ones if Sonny Michelle still has what it takes to be a quality running back. Remember, the shelf life of a running back in NFL football is not very long, and I know he's looking to go out with a bang, and I'm sure he has a newfound opportunity with the Rams and a new address of which he can go out and make plenty of of money for his decision well, I guess it wasn't his decision if he was traded, but every player looks for the best opportunity and the Rams, they needed him. That's why they traded for him. And that is a quick look at some Southern sports goings on here to start off our number three. When the Y'all Show returns after a quick break, we'll be right back. We've got all things North Carolina coming your way. We'll tell you about the university. We will discuss some famous alumni of UNC Chapel Hill and game day traditions. When you go see a game at Keenan Stadium, boy, there's some fun stuff that goes on there for all those clad in Carolina blue. That's coming up. It's our latest stop on our tour across the South, and it's up next. The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. If you're not fired up, I don't know what's wrong with you. We're just hours hours away from college football getting up and going we've got about six games that will be taking place Saturday none of which involve teams from right here in the deep south but still a nice little warm up if you will this weekend then starting I think Wednesday of next week there is a college football game going down in Montgomery Alabama we'll tell you more about that and then lots of games on Thursday Friday, Saturday, Sunday even Labor Day, Monday night, an SEC versus ACC game coming to you from Atlanta. But one of the cool games of that opening weekend will be on Friday nights. It's going to be Friday night lights in the Atlantic 
Coast Conference, and that's because the North Carolina Tar Heels will be on the road to start their 2021 season. The Heels will be taking on the Virginia Tech Hokies for a conference opener, a season opener. And here on the Y'all Show, we're in Chapel Hill talking about Mac Brown's North Carolina Tar Heels getting you ready for the Heels' big season, a season that they come in ranked in the top ten of college football and more. Lots of excitement. Hour one of today's Y'all Show, we walked you through the Hills schedule. If you missed any of that, please go check that out in our podcast options and learn so much about Sam Howell and what the Hills have coming back. They have quite a team. All of the offensive linemen will be protecting Sam Howell. All are veteran offensive linemen. Check out UNC football, the sleeper team. If you're trying to make a little money off of college football this year, hint, hint on that team that's got stuff stuck on the bottom of their feet, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Let me tell you here as we focus in this hour of the Y'all Show on UNC more on the the other things involved in this program. Let me first tell you about the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. This is one of the country's most prestigious universities. It actually started way back in 1789. This is one of the oldest schools in the southeast. And currently, the Chapel Hill campus of the University of North Carolina boasts over 30,000 students. They've got right around 20,000 undergraduates and another uh, almost 11,000 postgraduate students on this lovely, lovely place right in the Research Triangle of North Carolina. UNC Chapel Hill, the flagship of the University of North Carolina system, and it is considered to be what they call a public ivy or a public institution which offers an academic experience similar to that of an Ivy League university. And it is one of the oldest public universities in the entire countries, in the entire country. Among the claims, the University of North Carolina Chapel is the only one to have held classes and graduated students as a public university in the 18th century, in addition to here in the 21st century. UNC, they've got UNC Healthcare, that's a big part of what UNC's role is, a school of dentistry. They've got the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media on the campus. A school of public health is also available. And they also boast a whole bunch of Rhodes Scholars, Nobel Prize laureates, 23 Pulitzer Prize winners, all call the University of North Carolina home. Let me tell you about some of the famous alum, and then we'll go to a website called Ranker.com, which ranks a bunch of the UNC alumni of who their most famous alums are. And their ranking, we'll start off today with, oh, we'll start at 18. Why not? That's where I'll start on that list. But I don't know if they're going to cover these people or not, but I'll just go ahead and spit out a few people that may not be on the list but ought to be. Stuart Scott, ESPN's late anchor, is a UNC man. How about former Senator John Edwards, the Vice presidential nominee for John Kerry, a UNC alum. How about soccer star Mia Hamm, former president of the United States, James K. Polk, and a guy named Jordan. 
All right, those are just sort of, sort of the appetizers of UNC's famous alumni list. So let's go to Ranker.com, and they rank the alumni of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And coming in at number 18, it's a long list, so I just kind of randomly picked number 18 because this guy I don't think gets all that much attention. Novelist, author, and Asheville, North Carolina native Thomas Wolfe, who died at only 37 years old back in 1938. Thomas Wolfe, a UNC alum and a great American novelist of the early 20th century, went to school at UNC. You also have Jim Neal, a politician and a business person. He is a UNC alum, played in the NBA also. Rick Fox, another former NBA player, but he also went on to be in various TV shows and more. Rick Fox, a Canadian Bahamian retired basketball player that was born in Toronto, of all places, I remember hearing a player not long ago talk about how Rick Fox ended his NBA career because Rick Fox tore his hamstring or something in a practice one time while they were both with the Boston Celtics. Another UNC alumnus is former Democratic politician, a guy who was a congressman in, in the state of New York, Allard Lowenstein, who represented Essex County and died in 1980, a famous alum. Number 14, I've had a chance to talk to this young lady, the Charleston, South Carolina native, Sally Kralchek. Her daddy ran Jack Kralchek's menswear in downtown Charleston on King Street. And her dad got me towed one time because I was in his parking lot. And I got towed, I still remember it, by turkeys towing. And I had to pay about $100 to get my Zuzu pickup truck all because Crawchecks towed me because I had to go somewhere and I parked in their parking lot for about 25 minutes and they towed me, dadgummit. But that was her daddy. That's not Sally. Sally Crawcheck went into business. And at one time, she was one of the most powerful people on Wall Street. And this 57-year-old woman was at one time the president of the Global Wealth and Investment Management Division of Bank of America and one of the most senior women on Wall Street, Sally Kralchek, UNC alumnae. And we're talking about her and so many more great UNC alums here on the Y'all Show. Up next on the list of famous alum, Lisa Huber, a TV actress best known for her role as Gwen Hotchkiss on Passions. And she is the daughter of actress Susan Lucci. Liza Huber, UNC alumnus. Up next, how about this? I had no idea. Jack Palance went to UNC. <laughs> the actor who died in 2006 studied at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. This guy is the definition of venerable. Venerable Vince Carter, of course, played in Chapel Hill. I guess he played after Dean Smith retired, but Vincent Lamar Carter Jr., who is now retired. I think I saw him playing for the Atlanta Hawks about two years ago, the last NBA game I went and checked. Been ranked one of the greatest dunkers of all time, Vince Carter, UNC alumnus. And there's more athletes where that came from, coming from UNC, including number 10, 
Williamsburg, Virginia's Lawrence Taylor, who had such a great career as a linebacker for the New York football giants. He played football for the Tar Heels and went on to win a Super Bowl for the G-Men. Lawrence Taylor, a famous alumnus of UNC. How about this guy? Haven't heard his name mentioned in quite some time. Actor, producer, and philanthropist John Forsyth. The voice, I think he was on Charlie's Angels. I had no idea. John Forsyth went to UNC. He died back in 2010 at the age of 92. The stage, film, actor, and more, John Forsyth, a Tar Heel. This guy I knew was a Tar Heel. This guy, one heck of an actor, too, and a heck of a singer. I had a chance to talk to him one time and did a great y'all interview. Andy Griffith, the Mount Airy native. He died back in 2012, the comedian, the TV producer, the Southern gospel singer. Andy Griffith went to school at the University of North Carolina. This guy did make the list. James K. Polk, the politician who ended up living in Tennessee. His home is a museum in Columbia, Tennessee. James K. Polk, the 11th president of the United States. Before becoming president, the Pineville, North Carolina-born Polk went to the University of North Carolina. The late wife of John Edwards, Elizabeth Edwards, made this list. Ranker.com has her as the sixth most famous University of North Carolina alumnus. She was an attorney and a best-selling author and really got a lot of positive publicity. And then the scandal came out about her husband, and then she had an unfortunate early death. And Elizabeth Edwards was very famous some 10, 15 years ago. But it's been now, gosh, can you believe this, 11 years since Elizabeth Edwards died. She died at around age 60 back in 2010. The fifth most famous UNC alumnus, another guy who died way too soon, Stuart Scott. He loved to talk about his heels when he was on ESPN and had his really cool catchphrases that caught a lot of people and their attention. Stuart Scott. We lost him back in 2015 at only 56. He was a UNC alum. And then the other half of Elizabeth Edwards, at least when they were married, John Edwards, the South Carolina-born but UNC-educated lawmaker who was once a senator for North Carolina and was the 2004 Democratic nominee for vice president alongside the presidential nominee, John Kerry. John Edwards, who's now 68 years young, Number four on Ranker's list of alumni of the University of North Carolina. They need to they need to do a better job on their list. I don't like their list. It seems a little outdated, I think. Chris Matthews is number three. The guy that got run off of MSDNC. Chris Matthews, the talk show host and commentator. The Scrant oh, no, he's not from Scranton, he's from Somerton, Pennsylvania. And he came down south to go to UNC before going off and starting shows like Hardball with Chris Matthews. He's on the list as the number three most famous alumnus of UNC. Number two is funny man and social critic Lewis Black. He went to school at the University of North Carolina on this ranker listing of the most famous alumni of UNC Chapel Hill. And last, no doubt about it, this guy's pretty famous. The number one UNC alum of all time, I don't know if he got a degree from there or not. I've never been told that. No reason to think he didn't. And he lives in North Carolina primarily now. Michael Jordan, 
the 58-year-old who grew up, I think, around Wilmington, is the number one UNC alumnus. Mr. Jordan, Mr. Air Jordan, the longtime NBA star of the Chicago Bulls and the current owner of the Charlotte Hornets of the NBA, a pretty good golfer and one guy that used to dominate television commercials for about 20 years. MJ is UNC's most famous alum, at least according to Ranker.com. Now, moving over to some of the traditions. If you make it to a North Carolina football game, you might find some of this. It's been about five years since I went to a game, and I had a great time. I stayed right downtown on, I think it's Franklin Street. It goes through the heart of Chapel Hill. And had a, a just a wonderful weekend with some buddies. I know exactly when it was. It was about two weeks after Trump got elected. I went to a football game. So it would have been November 2016. I went to my one and only home game for UNC. And it was just so beautiful. When you go to UNC Stadium, it's almost majestic because it's built, although it's on campus, it's kind of built in the woods. So you're walking and walking, and it's like like you're in a nature park, and boom, right here's your football stadium. And it doesn't go way up in the air. It's kind of built down in the ground. It's a really neat place, and encourage you to go check it out if you ever have the opportunity. Now, what about some of the traditions when you go to a UNC football game or you're just around the University of North Carolina? 24 Sports, 247sports.com. They have the website Inside Carolina. And Inside Carolina, a site devoted to all things UNC, they've come up with the list. So I'm going to yield to them on this one because they ought to know what North Carolina traditions are. Their list, they have a, a breakdown here, kind of like Ranker did the ranking of famous alumni. Inside Carolina has the top five North Carolina football game day traditions. Number five. Fourth quarter hype. As the fourth quarter begins, everyone holds up four fingers to the mixture of ACDC's Hell's Bells and Roy Jones Jr.'s Can't Be Touched. And then the video board shows highlights of the team. As Inside Carolina says, it is impossible to not get excited. And that is a game day tradition at UNC football games. Number four on Inside Carolina's list of traditions for Tar Heel football Quote, and I'm a Tar Heel. Now, what they say is, though normally media timeouts are filled with anxious fans waiting to get back into the action, this feature on the video board is a fan favorite. Tar Heels of the past come up on the video board and say their name, followed by the phrase, and I'm a Tar Heel. Fans love seeing the faces of some of the all-time UNC Tar Heel greats, such as Jeff Saturday, Julius Peppers, TJ Yates, and Giovanni Bernard. And I'm a Tar Heel. So that's a tradition right there at Keenan Stadium. Another tradition is Tar Heel Town. That is an experience for the whole family before you go into Keenan Stadium. Located currently in the Bell Tower Park, Tar Heel Town has live entertainment, food trucks, face painting, games, and a lot more. It starts three hours before kickoffs there on the Chapel Hill campus. Tar Hill Town even offers an up-close look of players as they pass through on the Victory Walk. And guess what? The Victory Walk is the number two game day tradition for UNC football fans, according to Inside Carolina. Now, this was previously known as the Old Well Walk, 
It now begins in the Bell Tower Park. This gives fans an intimate opportunity to see the coaching staff, including head coach Mac Brown, and players like our good guy, Sam Howell, guy that's going to go make a lot of money in the NFL in a few months, get a chance to see these players as they walk to Keenan Stadium. And they're led by the marching Tar Heels and cheerleaders. This tradition mixes Carolina's past with its present and builds up anticipation for the game even more. Again, this is called the Victory Walk, and North Carolina Tar Heel fans can see this when they go to the campus for a football game. And according to Inside Carolina, the number one North Carolina football tradition is the singing of the alma mater. As they say, though technically two different songs, Hark the Sound and I'm a Tar Heel Born, they've often been played one after the other following sporting events at UNC. The songs are taught to students as they come into Carolina and is even focused and featured at Convocation. After hours of cheering and a hopeful victory, players and fans join together and sing the alma mater. Win or lose, the alma mater is always sung with pride. At the end of the song, some students even remix the words to show their disdain for the school eight miles from Chapel Hill. That would be Duke University. This unites players and fans alike to show the timeliness and tradition of North Carolina football. And, although it didn't make the list of the top five traditions of North Carolina football, I would have to say that that victory bell, the bell that goes to the winner of the Duke-North Carolina game. That's a great little tradition that fans of North Carolina look forward to each year. And they also have the tar pit that's located in the west end zone. The tar pit is mostly for students, and it gets pretty rowdy in there. So those are just some of the fun things you'll see for North Carolina fans when they make it. And, again, this is a top-10 football program entering the 2021 season. And Mac Brown's got this this group of Carolina Blue football players fired up for what could be a special, special season in Orange County, North Carolina. The Y'all Show continues after this break. We'll switch over and catch you up with some updates on headlines across the Southeast today. That, as the Y'all Show talk with a Southern accent, continues. shoes and I boarded the plane Touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of a pouring rain W.C. Handy Won't you look down over me Cause I've got a first class ticket And I'm blue as a boy can be Walking in Memphis Ten feet off a field Walking in Memphis But do I really feel the way I feel? Get ready to file this one under idiot. Back into y'all, back into some news stories to wrap up this edition of Talk with a Southern Accent. A couple in North Carolina has pled guilty to sneaking three people into this country illegally. That's bad. That's really not a smart thing to do. But the catch here of this couple from Jacksonville, North Carolina, Timothy Scott Belcher and Georgina Belcher, 
is that they brought three foreign nationals living illegally in the U.S. onto Camp Lejeune by bypassing the base gate and taking them from Jacksonville to a boat dock on base. That according to court documents. And now this husband and wife from North Carolina pleading guilty to transporting people living in the country illegal, illegally onto a U.S. Marine base by boat. <laughs> what, what, what in the world? According to a news release, these workers were employed by a drywall company owned by Mrs. Belcher that had a contract with the military. The acting attorney for the Eastern District of North Carolina, G. Norman Acker III, sounds like a character out of a movie, he said that the Belchers pleaded guilty this week to bringing in and harboring certain people living illegally in the United States. Now they face a maximum sentence of five years in prison, a $250,000 fine, and three years supervised release sentencing scheduled for November. Okay, don't bring anybody into the country illegally, and definitely don't bring someone in and put them on the base of a Marine Corps base like Camp Lejeune. Again, file that one under knucklehead. Up next, a man that many of you may have watched through the years with his news coverage on NBC News, and he has passed away as Lloyd Dobbins has died, the Virginia native, an award-winning NBC News correspondent who reported all over the world during his tenure at the Peacock Network. Ken Dobbins said in a statement that his father died Sunday in Mabin, North Carolina, that's just northwest of Raleigh, after his father had been suffering from complications from a series of strokes. Lloyd Dobbins worked for NBC News in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia, and was known in the United States for working with Linda Ellerby on the late-night news series NBC News Overnight, and that aired back in the 1980s. Linda Ellerby said about Lloyd Dobbins, he was a friend, teacher, troublemaker, and a world-class journalist. I shall miss him more than I can say. Lloyd Dobbins, born in Newport News, Virginia, in 1936, after serving in the Army back in... I guess it would have been the mid-50s. He began his broadcasting career in Roanoke at WDBJ-TV. And three years later, he became a news anchor at WAVY-TV in the Tidewater of Virginia, right there near where he was born. And he has passed away, Lloyd Dobbins. And more on Lloyd Dobbins, he attended Fort Union Military School and served as a lieutenant in the United States Army. Then he studied journalism at Washington and Lee in Lexington, Virginia, where he got, in 1957, a Bachelor of Arts degree from W&L. And he has died this week at age 85, Lloyd Dobbins of NBC fame. TikTok, one more time in the news. I, I don't know if it's the theme for the year. It's the theme of today's y'all show, unfortunately. TikTok has announced they're going to be removing the milk crate challenge videos amid warnings from doctors, the FDA, and more. And they've got these videos up, and or they've been up, and they're creating a lot of accidents and more. And TikTok, the Chinese-based social media app, is now limiting the milk crate challenge, as it is a task where users with Ascending and descending a makeshift pyramid of unsecured milk crates. Many of the videos appear to end poorly, with users taking nasty spills to the ground below. And this week alone, Conan O'Brien actually commented on that. We talked about that earlier in the week. 
Yeah, the milk crate challenge. Who comes up with this stuff? It's got to be somebody in China. In response to the milk crate challenge, doctors and health agencies are warning of possible life-threatening injuries. TikTok has confirmed that it is in the process of removing these videos, claiming the trend glorifies dangerous acts. I know you can break a bone or two. Remember a few years ago, a similar challenge was out about the ice bucket challenge for ALS. That had to be brutal for some people. The shock of going from, let's say, August temperatures outside to jumping in a bucket of ice. Conan O'Brien, earlier this week, Conan, who's not currently on television for some crazy reason, he put out a tweet saying that he's waiting for FDA approval before he takes the milk crate challenge. And the FDA responded to Conan O'Brien saying, although we regulate milk, we can't recommend you try that. Perhaps enjoy a nice glass of 2% and return all those crates to the grocery store. Pretty good statement from the FDA. Didn't know they had a sense of humor. But TikTok doing its part to shut down, not the internet, but the milk crate challenge. That's a quick look at some of the news items going on across the southeast here on Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern. We'll take our final break and come back in just a second and wrap up this exciting Wednesday edition of Talk with a Southern Accent. Stay tuned. Southbound each and every day here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Wrapping it up, just a handful of minutes left. Our website, y'all.com. And Carrie, thank you for setting this segment up. I don't know about y'all, but I make an effort to at least check my mailbox once at least, and usually about twice a week. And I went to my mailbox this week, and I found something in there that explains while we have Joe Biden in the White House. Because if the rest of the country got what I got in the mail, that explains why Donald Trump was not re-elected. I opened up my mail this week and found a notice from the White House, a real official thing that was mailed from the CDC. And I don't know about you if you got this too, but it is a notice that went out 
to postal customers a legitimate notice from the Centers for Disease Control. And it says on here in big bold letters, President Trump's coronavirus guidelines for America. And I saw that and I'm thinking, why would President Trump be sending out coronavirus guidelines for America? And it walks through all of the things to help eliminate coronavirus and it's spread and it is put out by coronavirus.gov. This is an official flyer that has gone out. The problem it should have been received by yours truly and likely if you're someone like me and got this in the mail, you should have got it last year. Like sometime in the summertime of last year, not August of 2021. This should not say President Trump's coronavirus guidelines for America. I think somebody's been sitting on this thing for a year, or I don't know what happened, but perhaps people didn't get this in the mail last year, and they said, well, you know, President Trump, but he doesn't care about coronavirus, so I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. If President Trump would just mail out some kind of flyer and his guidelines to help us get out of this thing, you know, that might be just enough for me to, to elect him and be reelected and serve another four years. But it didn't, at least for my sake and my address, it didn't get to me until this week. How is that possible? Should I file this with my local post office that perhaps this was intentionally sabotaged and this was not delivered like it should have been last year? Or is this a joke? I mean, it's, it's a multicolor little flyer, just a little card basically put out postage and fees paid usps permit number g10 in case anybody wants to look into it in fact it's got a date on it march 16th of 2020 is when this thing is dated why am i just getting this in my mailbox august of 2021 that's that's weird i I think i'm going to take it to the post office i want to see what they say i think somebody in the post office might have been sitting on it all these months i think they probably wanted to sell my coronavirus check now that i think about it Luckily, I did finally get that thing, and most of you out there probably got yours just fine, and you cashed it, and I don't know. Are we talking about getting more stimulus stuff anytime soon? I haven't heard that coming from D.C. lately, but I think they just the, the House today just voted on some kind of trillion-dollar package. Who, who knows? It's a crazy, crazy world out there. We're just doing our part here on Talk with a Southern Accent to keep it Southern, because that's what we love to talk about here on the Y'all Show, this part of the world called the South. Well, that will conclude the fun here on today's Y'all Show. Can't thank you enough for being along for the ride. We'll be right back here on the Thursday Y'all Show. We'll be taking you as part of our college journey across the South to the hedges. We'll be between the hedges, focusing on UGA and the Georgia Bulldogs, what Kirby Smart's program has going on as they get ready for the start of the 2021 season in Athens. That plus the news and headlines of the day. Thank you for listening to Talk with a Southern Accent. Have a great and wonderful rest of your middle-of-the-week adventure. <laughs>